You're listening to Haggai, a sermon series about obedience. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Hey, it is good to see you. Look at the person sitting next to you and point at your eyes and tell them how beautiful they are. Tell them they need to know, they need to recognize they're sitting beside somebody beautiful this morning. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here, and I really am so glad that you are here. And really, before we get to the message, I want to do something that uh, uh, doesn't relate to the message, but I still believe that it is a very important message that I think God would have each and every one of us to hear. And uh, the truth of the matter is, our, our nation, man, it's, it's just so much hatred in our nation. There's so much hatred in our world, and obviously that's not of God. You know what I mean? God wants us to love people. He wants us to love our neighbor. He wants us to love our enemy. He wants us to love people who are different than we are, who have different preferences, and they even dress different and, and talk different. Uh, in fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John four twenty that anyone, anyone who claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar, is a liar. See, God has called us to be uh, the light of this world. He wants us to make this world brighter. He's called us to be the salt of the, of the world, the salt of the earth. He wants us to make the earth better. And we can't make the world brighter. We can't make the world uh, better uh, if we have hate in our heart, if we have hate in our heart. And so I just want to encourage you guys, man, to, uh, to love people. Love people. Love people who are different than you. Just love people period. See people the way that God sees them, love people, because that's the only way we're going to be able to conquer hatred in this world. That's the only way we're going to be able to conquer evil is with love. We, we actually need to pray for our nation. So let's, let's pray right now. How about that? Father, we are so thankful for today. We're thankful for life. Father, right now, I, I come to you and I ask for your forgiveness. Father, if I have if I have showed hatred, Lord, in any way to any person, to any group of people, to any race of people, Father, I pray that you would forgive me. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to think about the way that we live our life, think about the call that you actually have on our life, this call to love God and to love others. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be more intentional about loving others the way that you would have us to. Father, Jesus came to this earth to die for each and every one of us, and not just the people in this room. Father, the people that live next door to us, the people who live across the road from us, Father, the people all over this earth. Father, and one day, every tribe, every tongue, every knee is going to bow. Everyone's going to confess that you are Lord and so I pray, Father, that you would help us as a picture of your church to truly embrace one another, to embrace the differences that you have given us, Father. Help us to realize that, that you, you truly do think each and every person on this earth really is special. So help us, Father. Help us, Father, right now to love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so we're starting a brand new series today on the book of Haggai. And I know that what, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're thinking the book of Haggai, man. Is that even in the Bible? Yes, I assure you it's in the Bible. And so you're thinking, man, where in the world, uh, is the book of Haggai in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. I want to tell you, uh, the book of Haggai is right after the book of Zephaniah and it's right before the book of Zechariah. I hope that helps you guys out. Uh, but it's a, a very important book in the Bible. It's a short book. In the Bible, it's actually so short, just two chapters. It's, it's real short. So if you're flipping through your Bible way too fast, you're going to skip over it. You're going to skip over it. But in that, that small book, in that short book, really are some lessons that God would still have us to learn today. And so as we start this morning, I, I wonder if anybody in this room has ever had a moment in their life where they thought something along the lines of this. You know, at this point in my life, I thought things would be a little different. You ever thought that? Maybe at this point in my life, I, I thought things would be better. At this point in my life, I expected a little more. At this point in my life, I thought that things would be further along. Many of you know that uh, this past week, I uh, actually became a father. I just became a father for the third time, you know. Uh, and so <laughs> when you... It's... It's interesting, too, when you tell somebody that you just became a parent, you know, everybody's like, yay, but then when they find out it's like your third child or something like that, they're like, you do know what causes that, right? You know what I mean? They're just not as excited. Uh, but I just became a father to a son. His name is Lawson Cruz Andrews, and uh, man, uh, he's he's just, he's so beautiful. He's so He's so special. But Amanda had been having her weekly checkups for a while now. And every time we would go to the doctor, the doctor would say, man, that baby's going to be born any day. We went and the doctor's like, man, uh, you are two centimeters dilated. That baby's coming any day. And so we'd be so excited. We're about to meet. We're about to meet this baby boy. Uh, and so two days would pass, you know, days would pass and we still wouldn't have met him. You know what I mean? So we'd go back to the doctor and the doctor would say, hey, look, you're two and a half centimeters dilated. This baby is going to come any day. So I finally asked the doctor, I said, well, look, if you were a betting lady, when do you think this baby's going to come? And so she said, I don't think Amanda will make it another 48 hours. I think in 48 hours, that baby's going to be here. So we're super excited, man. In 48 hours, we're going to meet this baby. We're going to meet this baby. We're going to meet this baby. But 48 hours comes and 48 hours goes. And guess what? Still no baby. Still no baby. So the next time we went to the doctor, you can ask him, man, I'm not lying here. I looked at the doctor and I said, hey, look, you need to stay away from the casinos because you don't have any business gambling. You know what I mean? You don't know what you're talking about. And so she was like, any day, any day. But I started thinking, you know, maybe, just maybe Amanda's not pregnant. I mean, I know she had a little belly on her, okay? But maybe, just maybe, she wasn't pregnant. Maybe, maybe really, you know, she had a shirt she wore that says, don't swallow watermelon seeds. I'm like, well, maybe, just maybe, you know, that's what's happened. Maybe she swallowed a watermelon seed. Maybe it's, maybe it's grown a little bit. You know what I mean? Because uh, I, I still hadn't seen no baby. Even in those sonograms that we went to get, you know, the nurse would come in there and she'd slap some jelly all over her belly. And then she'd grab one of those magic wands or something like that. And she'd rub it on her belly. And we're looking at this screen and they're like, you see the baby? And I don't have any idea what I'm looking at. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make, doesn't make any sense to me. I'm looking at this show like, man, that, you know, the baby's coming, the baby's coming, the baby's coming. And so for weeks, I kept thinking, man, we should be further along. We should be further along. That baby should be here. Each time we went to the doctor, that baby is coming, that baby's coming. And he didn't come, not until this past Monday. 
And so I took Amanda to the doctor, and the doctor said, hey, look, any, any, any day now, that baby's kind of like, man, I heard this before. So we left the doctor's office, and I was in Jackson. I said, hey, you know what? I need an oil change. Uh, so I went over to uh, the oil change place, and as we drive up to the oil change, this is a true story. As we drive up to the oil change baby, the oil change place, Amanda's like, man, I don't I feel weird. I feel like I'm about to have this baby. I was like, whatever. You've been saying that forever. And so, so we pull up to the oil change place, and this guy comes out. I was like, hey, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, man, I need to get an oil change. But listen, my wife over here, she says she's about to have this baby. But I have been hearing this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so I don't think it's happening. It's kind of like that boy that cried wolf thing. But she, you know, she says she's going to have a baby. So how long do you think it will take you guys to get an oil change? And he just looks real confused. Because he's looking over there at Amanda, and she's like, She's making all these faces, She's, and he looks. He goes, "You know that if we take the oil out of your car, you're not going to be able to go anywhere until we get done." I said, "I know. That's why I asked how long it's going to take you." You know what I'm saying? And so, and so again, Amanda's over there, uh, you know, making all these faces. And so I was like, "Well, I think she's going to be all right. Let's just get an oil change." So we get an oil change, and we had to go inside and wait. Can you imagine? They would have been freaked out if Amanda would have had that baby right there in that oil change place. But, but anyway, so after that, we were like, we need to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital, had the baby, praise the Lord. You know what I mean? But again, for, for weeks, for weeks, for weeks, for weeks, we hadn't seen this baby. We've been being told any day now, any day now, any day now. And the truth of the matter is I just thought we were going to be further along. And in life, we have moments where we actually feel that way. Hey, I just felt like things were going to be further along. Maybe at some point in your life, you have said something along the lines of, I thought at this point things would be better. At this point in our marriage, I thought that it would be a better marriage. Maybe you're thinking about what it is that God wants you to do in this world, or maybe you're thinking about just what you want to do in this world, and you feel like, man, at this point in my life, I thought that I would know. At this point in my life, I thought that I would be married. I thought that I would have kids. At this point in my life, I thought that I would own my own house. At this point in my life, I thought I'd have a job that I like. At this point in my life, I felt like I would have some money saved up. At this point in my life, I thought that things would be better. Have you ever felt that way? I know that I have. I felt that way before, and that's kind of the mood of the people that of the people when when the book of Haggai is written. See, let me give you a little bit of background to the to the story. The Bible talks about a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon was one of the sons of David, and he eventually becomes king of Israel. And so the Bible tells us that Solomon was the wisest man to have ever lived. Not only was he the wisest man to have ever lived, but he was the most wealthy man who has ever lived. And so during, his, during the fourth year of his reign, he begins construction on a temple for God, on the temple of God. And this wasn't just a building that Solomon built. This building, this temple was magnificent. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. People from all over the world, they traveled just to see this temple. And so after King Solomon died, after King Solomon died, the people, they got distracted and their hearts turned from God. And they began to worship idols. And so God allowed a series of events to take place in the nation of Israel's history because he was trying to turn their hearts back to him. And actually in 587 BC, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, to come in and take over Israel. They, they, they conquered the, the city of Judah and the Babylonians not only took the nation of, of, of Israel, not only did they take the nation of Israel, but they destroyed the temple. They destroyed this 
magnificent building. And basically what they were saying to the Israelites is, your God is dead. Your God is no longer with you. Your God has abandoned you. Then they carried the Israelites away into captivity. The Israelites were in captivity for for five decades after the destruction of the temple. 70, 70 years actually, but five decades after the destruction of the temple. So that's 50 years. Now you might not think much about 50 years of captivity, but 50 years is a very long time. 50 years is a lifetime. Can you imagine you know, being, being a slave, being in captivity for that long. If you had children while you were in captivity, guess what? They would have been born into a life of captivity. Their life wouldn't have been filled with soccer practices, gymnastics. They wouldn't have been filled with football practice and band practice. They would have been born into captivity. This would have been heartbreaking. Well, something interesting happens in 538 B.C. In 538 B.C., 50,000 Israelites are allowed to return to their homeland. They are allowed to go back and rebuild the temple of God. Because when they were in captivity for 50 years, what they said constantly was, if we just get another chance, if we just get to go back home, man, we're going to do things right. We realize we've messed up. If we get to go home, we're going to build the temple of God. We're going to rebuild the temple of God. We want his presence. We want him to dwell among us. We're going to put God first. So again, in 536 BC, in 538 BC, actually, 50,000 people, they go back. They go back to Jerusalem to begin building this temple. And they're so excited. They build the foundation of the temple. They build the altar of the temple. But after that, the Samaritans come in and they oppose them and they make their work incredibly difficult. And so the Israelites think, you know what? This must not be God's will. Maybe God doesn't want us to to build his temple because this is hard. This is difficult. We've got people opposing us. I mean, if God wanted us to do this, he would make it easy and things are not easy. So they just quit. They just quit. Let's abandon the Lord's work is basically what they say. So that's the backstory for the book of Haggai. So for 14 years, for 14 years, no work is done on the temple of the Lord. For 14 years, no one does any of God's work. It's crazy again, because for five decades, they kept saying, man, if we get to go back, we're going to put God first. If we get to go back, we're going to do things right. If we get to go back, man, we're going to we're going to worship God the way that he deserves. But once they go home, things get difficult and they quit. They quit. They don't want to do any work on God's house for 14 years. But you know what they do work on? They do work on their own house. They don't work on God's house, but they work on their house. They, they, they built their house and they forgot about God's house. And so what God does is he raises up a prophet by the name of Haggai to, to really call the people back to obedience, to call the people back to the Lord's work. And so that's really, again, the background to the story. Did I do pretty good explaining all that? Everybody with me? If I'm not, just shake your head anyway, like you did. You know what I mean? Good. I knew you guys were smart. I would get that. So that's kind of the background to the story here. And so uh, I want you to see what happens in Haggai chapter one, starting in verse two. And to me, this verse is really funny. Uh, check out what Haggai chapter one, verse two says. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, everybody say these people. These people 
say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What in the world does God mean? These people, these people. See, if you read the Old Testament, what you're going to find is that when God refers to the nation of Israel, he refers to them mostly as my people. He refers to them as my people. But here he says, these people, these people. What in the world is he saying? Again, if you read the Old Testament, God usually says, if my people will humble themselves, if my people will turn to me, if my people will confess their sins. Again, though, here he's saying these people. To me, I think this is funny because I have done this type of thing in my own life. I don't know if you have as well. Again, I got three kids now, but I remember after we had our first one, Brianna Grace, uh, we had taken her down to Walmart when she was about three or four years old. And so we tried to strap her in one of those buggies, you know what I mean, that you push around. I got that little plastic strip, you know, and we couldn't do it and she didn't like it. And she was just throwing a fit. She felt like she was big enough to walk around Walmart. Any parents, you've been there before? Man, so we're walking around Walmart. I'm pushing the buggy. She's kind of following us, and we get to the cereal aisle, and me and Amanda, we're picking up some cereal. We like Cheerios. We like Frosted Flakes, and I don't know what happened, but something came over Brianna Grace, you know, and she just started screaming and running down the aisle, and not only was she running down the aisle, but she had her hand out like this, you know what I mean, at those boxes of cereal, and they're just going all over the floor, man, and so uh, everybody that's on the aisle that day looking at me and Amanda, but I was kind of off to the side, you know what I mean, they're looking at me and Amanda because they're like, man, what in the world, whose child is this, and they're just looking at us, and so pastor, what'd you do, man, I just looked at Amanda with my box of Cheerios, and I said, ma'am, you really need to get your child under control. And I walked the other way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's how, that's kind of how, that's kind of how we are sometimes. God doesn't say, hey, these are my people. He said, those people, those people, man, it's, it's interesting that he, he says that. That's what he does. And see, it's, it's interesting because these people are saying, you know what? It's not time for us to do God's work. It's not time for us to build God's temple. And why? Why do they do that? Again, it's because they receive opposition. They experience a difficult time. And because things are not easy, they decide that they want to quit. And what's really interesting is that people haven't changed very much in the last 2,500 years. People haven't changed much in the last 2,500 years. We are just like that. We say things like that. We say, man, this is too hard, so it must not be God's will. This is too difficult, so God must not want me to do this. But what we need to understand is that the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to receive opposition. The more like, the more, the, the closer you get to doing something that God actually wants you to do, it's going to get more difficult. Receiving opposition isn't a sign that God is against you. Receiving opposition is actually a sign that you are probably doing what God wants you to do. I'm telling you, the moment that you decide you're going to be obedient and do what it is that God wants you to do, you're going to receive opposition. You say, you know what? I'm going to start putting God first with my money. I'm going to, I'm going to start tithing. I promise you, once you do that, you know what's going to happen? Something's going to break at your house. Something's going to break at your house. Your AC might go out. Your, your refrigerator might go out. Your, your dryer might go out. The moment you decide that you're going to get serious about your walk with God and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be more consistent with my church attendance. I'm going to try to be there every Sunday. You know what's going to happen on Saturday night? You're not going to sleep good. You're not. 
You're not going to sleep good. And then finally, when you do go to sleep, you know, you're not even going to hear your alarm go off. You might even forget to set your alarm. And then you're going to wake up at about 1030 and you're going to say, man, service starts at 11. I don't have time to get cleaned up and get there. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, just won't go. Again, the moment you decide you're going to start doing something for God, things are going to happen. The moment you say, you know what, I'm going to try to be a better witness to, God, uh, to other people for God. I'm going to actually be a better witness. I promise you something will happen in your life that will be incredibly difficult, that will make you angry, that will test you, that will test you because you're wanting to respond in a bad way in front of the people that you're trying to say, hey, God has made a difference in my life. The moment you decide to be obedient, you're going to receive opposition. But if you and I are really going to be true followers of God, we've got to decide that even in the midst of difficulties and even in the midst of opposition, we're going to be obedient because God has called us to do that. That's exactly what the prophet Haggai is trying to get the people to understand. So let's keep reading Haggai chapter 1 and verse 3. Check it out. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, while my house, while God's house remains a ruin? Now, let me stop for just a second because we read that verse and we might not really understand what's happening. What in the world is a paneled house? What in the world is, is that? God is like, hey, why are you guys living in a paneled house while my house is in ruin? Well, most commentators would say that a paneled house, what that really is, would be something like high-end living today. If this was in today's world, these people would have had granite countertops. They would have had a jacuzzi tub, maybe even a hot tub, a swimming pool, probably an 80-inch smart TV on their wall. In today's world, they would have had the best of the best. And the thing is, God wasn't against his people having nice things. He's not against you and I having nice things. He's against you and I putting nice things before him. He's, a, he's not against us having nice things. He's against things having us, period. See, at this point in the book of Haggai, the people aren't putting God first. They are putting their comfort and their desires before what God has asked them to do, which is one of the same temptations we have today. It really is. And so look at verse, look at verse 5. Look at what God says. God says this, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. So question that you and I really need to be thinking about and trying to answer is, are we putting our comfort above his calling? Are we trying to make a difference for our own life? Or are we truly trying to make a difference for God? Are we putting our house before his house? Are we consumed with ourself instead of being consumed with God? God says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to how you answer that question. Don't just answer that question the way that you know you should. Don't just answer that question the way that you think God would have you. Give careful thought to your ways. Are we being obedient? That's what we're going to talk about today. Are we being obedient? So let's keep on reading because look at what God says in verse 6. God says this, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Does that hit home to anybody here today? Man, if that was written 
Today, you'd say something along the lines of, man, you are working all the time and you still don't think you have enough. Man, you've got more than you've ever had and it still doesn't satisfy you. You are making more money this year than you did last year and it's just going into a pocket with holes in it. You go to the movies, you go out to eat, you do all of this thing, but there, these things, but there is still this deep longing inside of you that you can't seem to appease. You want more. And in verse seven, again, God repeats himself. Look what he says. He says in verse 7, he says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Again, are you putting your house before God's house? Is there something that God has told you to do that you are saying, You know what? I'll get around to doing that later. Right now, let me do what I want. Are you being obedient? Give careful thought to your ways. These people are saying, it's not time to build the temple. It's not time to do what God has called us to do because we're we're receiving opposition. It's not easy. We're not good enough. And so look at what God says. God gives them three simple steps that I think he would also give to you and I this morning. Three things he really wants us to be obedient to. And so uh, check check out verse eight. Here's what the Bible says. This is what This is what the Lord says. He says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Let me read that again. God says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So let's break down what God says in that that verse right there. What's the very first thing that God tells the people to do? Go up where? Into the mountains. Go up into the mountains. Now, I don't know if, how many of you have ever been hiking like up a mountain before? You've been hiking up a mountain? Some of us, some of us have. Uh, but hiking, hiking isn't easy. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, I uh, took a group of youth that we had to Tennessee and we decided, you know what, we're going to go hike up a mountain and we're going to look at a waterfall. We're going to look at one of these waterfalls. So we park our van, we get all the kids out and we start we start walking what I thought was walking to this waterfall, but we're actually hiking. And so like 30 minutes into this hike, I'm like, where's this waterfall at? You know, about 15 minutes later, 45 minutes, I'm like, man, where's this waterfall? And then we keep on going. And eventually we pass some park rangers and they're looking at us like we're idiots. They're like, y'all don't have any water? You don't have any supplies? And I was like, man, I thought we were just walking, man. We were hiking. We really did need some water. Hiking is completely different from walking. Climbing a mountain is completely different than walking. Yes, we needed water. Yes, we needed to be prepared because hiking isn't easy. Going up a mountain is not easy. That's why a lot of people never climb a mountain. It's true. We all go up to a mountaintop, we'd all enjoy a mountaintop if going up a mountain was this easy. Check it out. If we had something like this to get us up a mountain, you know? Oh, man, look at those birds over there. That's so beautiful. We would, we would all go up a mountain if it was this easy. Think about it. Ski lifts, you know what I'm saying? If you want to go skiing, how many people would actually go skiing, skiing if they had to hike up the mountain to do that? Not a whole lot of people, right? Because, because that is difficult. And here's what I want you to understand. Again, going up a mountain is not easy. What you've got to understand, though, is that usually in the Bible, when God tells people to go up a mountain, 
He's telling them to go up a mountain so that they, they can experience his presence in a very unique way. If you remember in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 24, Moses goes up the mountains. And as he's up the mountain, the presence of God descends on the mountain in a form of a cloud. And Moses stays 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain in God's presence. Jesus, uh, he was feeding the 5,000. And in Matthew chapter 14, after he has fed the 5,000, verse 23 says this, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus climbs up a mountain to spend time with God. But again, it's not easy to climb a mountain. And I want you to understand that it's, it's not easy for us to spend time with God. It's not. It's not easy for us to actually spend time with God uninterrupted. Think about the things that you have in your life that are constantly trying to grab your attention. The TV, the cell phone, kids, friends, neighbors, work. You actually have to put forth an effort to spend time with God. And God is commanding them to go up the mountain. God would command us, spend time with him. Go up the mountain. So that's what God wants us to do. So the first thing he says is, go up to the mountains. The second thing, what did God tell us to do? He says, bring down timber. Bring down the timber. Now, how many of you have ever cut down a tree? I know we've got a couple people who've cut down some trees here. Uh, what about this? How many of y'all have ever cut firewood? Man, that's hard work. My mama and papa, uh, they used to have this stump out in their front yard, and they would say, hey, go out there and cut some firewood, and they wouldn't let me use an axe. I don't know if they just didn't trust me or whatever, but they would give me a sledgehammer with this iron little pin, this iron stake that you'd have to keep beating into that, into that wood until it split in two. And I'm just going to tell you, man, praise God for central heat and air. You know what I mean? Praise God. Because after a few swings with a sledgehammer, after a few swings with an axe, man, you are tired. Well, follow me here because I want you to see what God is saying. God tells the people to go up the mountain. And when they got there, what were they supposed to do? They're supposed to cut down timber, cut down timber, and then bring it down. What in the world does that even mean? See, oftentimes... You and I, again, with our spiritual walk, we, we want it to come easy. We want our spiritual walk and our spiritual growth to come easy, but it's not easy. It's not easy to live the life that God has called you to live. It's not easy to do the things that God has called you to do. It's not easy to grow spiritually. That's why some people who call themselves Christians haven't really grown in years. Come on, don't y'all know some people who've been Christians for years and years and years and years, and they're still prideful. They're still hateful. They still have such a mean spirit. There are some people who say, well, I've given my life to Christ, but they're still living for themselves. Why? It's because they aren't spending the time up the mountain with God. And then when they get there, when they are spending time with Him, they're not doing the necessary work to help them grow. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23? Jesus looks at his disciples, he looks at a crowd of people, and he says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Pick up some timber. Pick up some timber and follow me. Jesus didn't just say follow him. 
He said, look, if you're going to follow me, it's going to take work. You're going to have to actually pick up your cross. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to do the necessary things that I'm asking you to do. If you and I are really going to be obedient, I'm telling you, we have to accept the difficult responsibility of actually spending time with God and not only spending time with him, but being about his business. And if we're going to be about the business of God, that means that we need to have spent time with him to get clear direction so that we can know exactly what it is that he wants us to do. Man, it takes work to get real direction from God. It does. Man, think about these guys going up a mountain, cutting down timber and bringing it down. This was tough. These guys didn't have log trucks. They didn't have chainsaws. So they're up there trying to cut down, cut down timber and bring it down, man. This was tough. See, I've been in ministry since 1999. I'm getting old. Sadie Kate told me the other day that my head was crinkly, so she's grounded for life. Y'all pray for her. But I've been in ministry since 1999, almost 18 years, almost 18 years. And I've heard people, I've heard people who go to church say things like this. Yeah, I stopped going to church because I wasn't getting anything out of it. I quit going to church because I didn't feel like I was being fed. I quit, I quit going to church because my needs were being met. Folks, listen to me. Where in the world did we get this idea that church is about us? Church is about Jesus, period. If it ain't about Jesus, you're at the wrong church. Church has to be about Christ, and the church doesn't exist to spoon feed us. It does not exist for that. You and I have to be willing to put in the work to get something out of church and out of what God has for us. You and I need to come to church. You and I need to be in the Word. We need to do those things to spend time with Him, but then we've got to do the work. We've got to put careful thought into what God is telling us at this moment so that we can get the most out of it. People say, well, I just don't understand the Bible. That's because you've got to put in the work and study it. People say, I just don't get anything out of church. That's because you've got to put in the work and listen. You've got to listen because God is speaking. You've got to listen. You've got to listen. That takes work. And then once you receive what it is that God has for you, what do you say to bring it down the mountain. You've got to take it out the, out of the, down the mountain. What in the world does that mean? It means when God gives you something here at church or in your Bible time, it means you've got to take it outside of the church doors and outside of your home doors, and you've actually got to apply what it is that God is giving you. God clearly shows us things. See, oftentimes, again, God clearly shows us things. We know that God has showed us something he wants us to do in our life. We know he showed us something. He's given us direction. But you know what we do? Instead of taking it down the mountain, instead of taking it out the doors, you know what we do? Once God has clearly given us something, we leave it right there. Man, that's a lot heavier than I thought it was going to be. It's a lot harder to do than I thought it was going to be. That's a lot harder. This is difficult, so I'm just going to set it down. What does God say? He says, go up into the mountains and bring down the timber. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber. And look at verse 8. The last thing he says, he says, go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, and what? Build my house. Build my house. Now, how many of you have ever built anything in your life? Anybody? You know what I'm saying? Um, Sadie Kate, Sadie Kate, she's not my youngest anymore. I got her 
figure out not to say that more. Anyway, uh, my youngest daughter, she loves these things that are called Shopkins. Does anybody know what Shopkins are? We got a picture. If you don't know, maybe maybe they'll put it up there on the screen. I think we got it. Uh, I don't know if it's there or not. Uh, yeah, Shopkins. Anybody, anybody know what these are? Man, Shopkins, <laughs> they're these little figurines of like everything out there. They put a face on something, and you're supposed to like pretend like you're that. You can be food. You can be fingernail polish. You can be a high heel shoe. Uh, you can even be a toilet. They have a toilet figurine. I don't know why you'd want to pretend like you're that. Feed me. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Uh, but they've got these. They've got these things that are called Shopkins. And again, Sadie Kate, she loves Shopkins. And the week before last, uh, we built a Shopkins cafe out of Legos. Okay. So she brings in all these Legos, and she's got this book that's instructions. And, I mean, the instructions are color-coded. There are pictures. It tells you how many of one Lego you need, where it goes, and all this other good stuff. So we had the instructions. But I'm just going to go on and tell you, it was still hard. Still incredible. Anybody ever try to build something out of them Legos, man? It was hard. I'm sitting here going, Sadie, maybe we need to build something else. Matt. Man, I think we're missing some pieces. Let's do something else. Let's build something else. This is hard. What does God tell the people to do? Build his house. Be about his business. Put him first. But come on. How many of us sometimes just don't do that? And you know why? Because it's hard. It's hard to build the kingdom of God. And so we say, let's just build something else. It's hard to be the person God's called me to be, so I'm just going to be who I want to be. It's hard to do what God wants. It's hard to put him first. But if we're going to be real followers, we have to be obedient. See, I'm wrapping up. I'm almost done. But I wonder if God was really able to speak clearly to you this morning and to me, if we were really able to hear God say something to us, would he say something along the same lines that he told the Israelites? Look at verses 4 and 5 again. God says, Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, while my house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. The truth is many people even people in this room. We spend an awful lot of time building things for ourselves and not nearly enough time building things for God. And maybe the Israelites, maybe they thought, man, we're doing enough. We got the foundation laid. We built the altar. Isn't that enough? Maybe they felt like they were doing enough. Maybe you yourself feel like you're doing enough. But again, if God could look at you, speak, would he say, give careful thought to your ways? Would God say, listen, you know you need to be coming up on the mountain and spending better time with me? Would God say, not only do you need to be spending time with me, but you need to be getting something that he would have you to apply in your life? And not only that, but would he say that once you've got it, you need to take it outside and share it with others? Would God say, give careful thought to your ways? I believe he would. Because he's called us all to be obedient. The question is, are we? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk. I know in a room like this, there are people who have been Christians for a very long time. There are people who are new Christians. There are people who are not yet Christians. But I know that God wants to speak to us no matter what our spiritual walk looks like. And I think that God brought someone here today to have a a mountain experience with Him, to experience His presence, to actually give their life to Him. Maybe He's been drawing at your heart for a while now. But he's telling you today to surrender, be obedient. And so if that's you today and you know that you need to be saved, you need to give him your heart right where you are. I just want to ask that you lift your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. Amen. 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 He's calling you to give you give him your life. That's the first step. If that's you, I'm just going to ask right where you are that you pray with me. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. I pray today that you would make me into a new creation. Father, I accept what Christ did on Calvary's cross for me. I confess you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that today would be the beginning of a relationship with you where I am obedient, where I take what I have received on the mountain outside of these doors and do something for you. Thank you for saving me. Father, I also want to pray for each and every person in this room. Father, I know oftentimes we feel like what we're doing We're doing enough. We're better than so-and-so. Father, but you haven't called us to compare our life to other people. You've just called us to be the salt and light in this world. Not just on Sundays, Father, but every day. And so I pray that you would help us to seek you more, to seek to learn more, and not just have all this information but apply what it is that you've showed us. Thank you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.